but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is Hello everybody, welcome back to the Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. This is the Mid-Australian Open episode of the Body Serve. And we're coming to it with two different levels of having watched tennis this past week. <laughs> we exist on very different schedules. We essentially work different shifts in the home. Uh, <laughs> my 9 to 5 is making it super difficult to watch live tennis. And with me being out of work, I have nothing but time to watch tennis. <laughs> right. I will say, though, that this is a slight dig at you. Mm. You historically will not sacrifice sleep for anything, really. So, like, even when there's something that you want to watch, like, you must give yourself the potential for eight hours of sleep. That is correct. So, Have you ever, like, stayed up and, like, what we like say in Jamaica and bleached so that you can watch something you want to watch and suffer the next day? Yeah, in Australia. Like, when was the last time? I'm not putting you on trial um, here. Well, the last few finals that I've wanted to watch, I've, like, napped and then gotten back up, which is really hard. Mm. See, I was thinking back to a lot of my childhood where, well, for tennis specifically, I have a vivid memory of getting up super early to watch Agassi in the semifinals in Australia. That one match, maybe it may have been 2000, where he played Pat Rafter and should have lost that match. And then mostly for cricket, like I woke up so early so many times, mm. just myself in the middle in of the India night. Because yeah. India New Zealand and everywhere. It's infinitely harder the older you get. <laughs> but um, tell would... me about it. Another Australian Open, another Francis Tiafo quote to yes. give a title for us. I love this shit. I love it. It was like barbecue. Was, it, yeah, what was a it few last years time? ago it was, it's like barbecue chicken. <laughs> He's just so quotable. We're going to talk briefly, just name a few of the players who are upset at the top of the show, and then we're going to go through section by section, tell you who's in the round of 16s, and then work back and look at what happened in those little sections over the first week. Yep. By the time you've listened to this episode, probably half of the matches will have already been played, so we're not doing the looking forward bit past the round of 16s. That's not what this show is about. This is all about where we are, and what has happened to get us here. Mm -hmm. Early on, we had David Goffin go out in the first round for the second consecutive major, which is unlike him. RBA out early as well. On the women's side, uh, Azarenka was the first shocking upset in the first round, followed by people like Bianca Andreescu, defending champ Sofia Kenin, Petra Kvitova was a total shock, Alison Risk, Karolina Pliskova later on in the third, mm -hmm. which we'll get to. You're you're totally ignoring Bianca's Canadianization of her name when you say it. Oh yeah, <laughs> is that defiant yeah. on your part? No. So I, you know, I looked up. I asked Romanians, "How do you say the last name?" And the e's, the two e's, pre create like two syllables essentially. But Bianca blows through that last name. I guess that's just you know living in Canada, making it easier on the rest of us. At the top of the woman's draw, Ash Barty is where we expected her to be. She's going to be playing Shelby Rogers. This little section went to form, pretty much. Shelby's coming in 
playing really good ball over the last year. And uh, nothing really untoward happened here. Danilovic beat Martic in the first round, nothing shocking there. Belinda Bancic, every time Australia comes around, all I can hear is Bancic in my in my ear. <laughs> there was one Australian commentator, was it Sam Smith? Maybe, uh, I'm not sure. Just insistently saying Belinda Bancic. She stuck around for a couple of rounds, had a really hard go of it against Svetlana Kuznetsova in the second round. Mm-hmm. If you recall in the preview episode, we pinged Kuznetsova and Streetsova as a first-round match to watch. Sveta got through that pretty easily. She did. Streetsova, I feel, has been teasing her singles retirement for a while, mm-hmm. and, and we keep seeing her come back. So then Bencic plays Kuznetsova in the second round, and Svetlana had a really good chance to win that match. Mm-hmm. Bencic eventually winning 6-4 in the third. But by the time Belinda gets through that match, she then has to play Mertens, in the third round, and the, the writing's kind of on the wall. Like, Elisa Mertens has been killing it recently. And she's also not someone you'd want to play if you're coming out of the hard quarantine and your training has been really interrupted. So we have no idea what Belinda's body and conditioning was like by the time she got to that third match. Mertens, if you recall, had just won the Gippsland Trophy the week before the Australian Open. And I feel like... She's somebody who folks label unfairly as a pusher. You know, I'm, I'm really against that term mm-hmm. on the show. Mm-hmm. And while I can kind of see how that came to be, folks have not been acknowledging the work that she's put into her game. She's a much more aggressive player now. And so I don't think that Elisa Mertens is somebody you should look at as a, a top 15 seed that's a nice, cute round of 16 for your fave. Mm-hmm. Elisa Mertens is leveling up. So this top quarter, you've got Barty against Rogers, and then Mertens against Muhova. Now, how we got to this point of the draw is incredible. Well, well. So Karolina Pliskova was the sixth seed in that quarter, seeded to play Ash Barty in the quarterfinals. Now, Karolina has not had a great you know, past few weeks. She went 2-2 two and two on the year coming into the Australian Open. She has a new coaching partnership with Sasha Bayin. She hasn't had a great time of it since the resumption of play on tour. No, and she has always had a little bit of trouble with Muhova. I mean, there wasn't a huge sample size to choose from, but they played two previous matches, both in majors. Carolina won one of them, and Muhova won the other. The uh, more high-profile win it at Wimbledon in 2019. We had looked at Daniel Collins and Pliskova, a rematch of their tight, tight match the week before the Australian Open as one to watch. And Carolina got through that pretty well. Mm-hmm. She looked pretty good in that match. And she's on this super fast hard court. And uh, she's starting to look formidable. Like maybe she's regaining some of the form that she hasn't been able to capture recently. Right. Muhova had something to say about that, uh, snatching the first set 7-5. And then it seems like Kaya woke up. You know, she goes up 5-love in well, the second set. before that, she smashes her racket all over the place. Oh my, how could I forget? Okay, so she smashes a racket several times at the end of the first set, all in one game, goes to her chair and taps it a few more times, gets a code violation. She did not lumberjack. Allison Hughes in the chair <laughs> this time. She doesn't do that mid-match, only post-match. 
she leaves the court to for whatever after the first set and then when they return a snitch runs up to the umpire's chair when i say snitch i just mean a hard-working <laughs> lines person at the australian open and says carolina smashed her racket in the back i saw it and then allison hughes is like well 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 code violation point, point penalty <laughs> Plishkova. and she said you know what's next and so carolina walks toward the chair as you know as one does mm-hmm. you she, give me a point penalty she says, explain to me please yeah just like that very calmly and Allison Hughes is like, you were smashing the fuck up of that racket in the tunnel, and we saw you. And She's like, but it was off court. And Allison Hughes said, that doesn't matter. She's like, I can do whatever I want off court. And she's like, yeah, but this is still part of the match, sweetie. <laughs> and so the rules that govern a match still apply. I'm reminded of the time in Cincinnati where Nick Kyrgios left the court and wreaked all sort of havoc in the tunnel. Yes. When Fergus Murphy was in mm-hmm. the chair and he really had his hands full with that match. I think this puts into light this this running idea that we've talked about on the show that so many of the players don't necessarily know all the rules. Oh, definitely. And I think yeah. a fu- one of the reasons why that happens is so many times the rules are applied haphazardly. So A, it's easy to get confused as to what the actual rule is. To then think that you can talk your way out of any kind of penalty. Mm-hmm. And and so you end up in this situation where you're just popping off, doing all these kinds of things and thinking you can get away with it. I, I think I that Pliskova blame. genuinely did not know that mm. this was a problem. And she didn't really push it that hard. No. But I don't blame players when they question or argue a little bit. Mm. As long as they're not calling the umpire names and swearing yeah. and stuff like that. So Pliskova comes back, starts the second set, speeds to a 5 nothing lead. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, damn. Like, yeah. all this this good play that Muhova had shown, the finesse, the power, she looks so compact and assured on court. And now Pliskova is just going to blow her away. Mm-hmm. Well, hold your horses. I mean, this was quite unusual. We had been cooking. In, the, in that mm. second set, we got up and we were making dinner. And we're like, um, well, what exactly is going on here? It's like Muhova serves and it's 1-5. And then it's 2-5. And then it's 3 And the commentator's like, uh-oh. Uh-oh. This is a serious momentum shift. And at the end, there were some easy balls that Muhova missed. That you're like, well, damn, you did all this work to mm. get back to 4-5, or five, and then you're just going to throw it all away. Yeah. And nope, that's not what happened. Seven games in a row. 7-5, seven, 7-5, five, seven, five, Pliskova out of the Australian Open. And I, f- I feel that that was very out of character for her. That was a really surprising turn of events. Mm-hmm. It, not that she lost to Mukhova, because she has done it before, but losing in that way? Like, when was the last time she lost seven games in a row? Healthy. It calls to mind just a couple years ago when Serena Williams was up, what, 5-1 in the third set against Pliskova? And injured her ankle. Mm -hmm. But there was an injury at play there. Here it was just uh, like a total mental lapse. Something to keep an eye on with this situation. Given the struggles that Pliskova is having, mind you, this is all happening against the backdrop of a pandemic. So these are Mm -hmm. not normal times, but... It does, I think, put Sasha Bynes' position as coach, new coach, in a little bit of a, a pickle. 
of course that's what people are saying and we don't know what kind of conversations are happening between them this is very early in a partnership right like it might be way too soon to tell if it's working or not if they're getting along then you know maybe they keep going together and see what happens but you know caroline has been through tons of coaches she's getting a bit older and if i were her i would be really impatient for my moment in the sun because the talent is there we spoke of mertens she beats Leila fernandez easily in the first round Muhava beat Ostapenko, and a match that I thought would have been a lot more competitive, Daniel Collins got by Anna Bogdan really easily. Mm. That's pretty much the gist of that top quarter. Barty versus Rogers, and now Mertens versus Muhova. I've seen a lot of folks talk about Ash Barty this tournament. For some reason, we're still talking about the fact that Ash Barty did not play during the pandemic all of last year. If I am a multimillionaire, world number one, I'm staying my ass home. Like, I, I just don't understand <laughs> how this is a thing. She's like, I can stay home, set a good example, and keep my number one ranking for a year by doing nothing? It's it's wild mm-hmm. to me. And then she shows up last week, wins the Yara Valley Classic, looks to be in good form. By the second round here, she has heavy strapping on her left thigh. She had just won her first match, Love and Love. She assures us that... It was just a little, little, little thing and that she really only needed two centimeters of tape. But to keep that two centimeters in place, <laughs> it needed to be heavily wrapped. So it looks a lot worse than it really is. And she claimed after her third round win over Alexandrova that, you know, she's fine. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what happens. I'm showing up to play. So the next quarter is where it gets a bit interesting. Now, seeing Vekic and Brady in a fourth round is not a surprising result, but there is a key player missing here. Sophia Kennan's loss in the second round should be a huge story. She's the defending champ. She had a massive year overall last year. And she goes out in the second round to Kaya Kanepi. And I think for a few reasons, it didn't dominate the news cycle for that long. One of them is because it's Kaya Kanepi. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, this is a player who was designed in a lab to beat top 10 players, to knock out champions seated players at big stages and then you don't hear from her for a while maybe years and then she does a lot of it due to injury right darren cahill said that whenever he and simona show up at an event once it draws out simona wants to know where's kneppy (laughs) (laughs) wouldn't you like this is not an overstatement right everybody was talking about this before the tournament started a function of kneppy's history and also the uncertainty about kenan in her title defense and how uncertain she looked on court leading up to this tournament yeah kanepi looked to be in excellent shape this tournament she lost in three tight sets to donna vekic held a match point and that was really more about vekic's grit i think than anything sophia's loss i said was you know didn't become this massive story and i think the other reason is that there was just way too much going on all you know there's there's regular news there's covid news they're closing victoria and this Kennan loss just sort of got swept up in all of that. It also wasn't surprising. Mm. If, say, for example, Naomi Osaka had lost in the second round, that would have caused more of a stir. Which well, is kind of unfair to, to Sophia Kennan because she is a, a two-time slam finalist, is a defending champion. But it, it is what it is. Her profile, for whatever reason, we've debated this on previous episodes, 
and it's still a conversation <laughs> on, that folks, on a Twitch that we did. Yeah. It's a hot topic. It is. For whatever reason, she does not have the stature of other players. Should they have been in her position? Yeah. Now Jennifer Brady, I'm I'm really starting to like seeing this woman in the second week of slams because I think it's going to start happening consistently. You didn't like it before? No. Well, I wasn't seeing her. You know, now she's an established name. She's seated 22, but feels so much higher than that. Kanepi, after taking out Kenan, had to play Donna Vekic and was up a set and a break. And somehow Donna Vekic found her way through that match. A bit of history made in that little section there. Mayar Sharif from Egypt. Back last year, she became the first Egyptian woman to play a main draw match. Now, she's the first Egyptian woman to win a main draw slam match. And but for a very game, Kaya Yuan in the second round could have made the third round here at this tournament. Mm -hmm. That was a long, drawn-out affair where either woman could have won that match. The last thing I'll say about this little section, very unfortunate for Joe Kanto. Up a set after winning the first set and has to retire in her first round match against Yuvan. That is an unfortunate way to begin your mm. year. For someone who would excel on these type of courts as well. Exactly, and has a history of playing well in Australia. Mm -hmm. Rounding out that top half is the round of 16, Pagula versus Svitolina. We said Azarenka lost in the first round, which she was having trouble breathing. It was really, you know, it was really scary for a little bit. Lost to Pagula. Pagula goes on to beat Stozer easily and then takes out Kiki Mladenovic, who had her own great run, beating Maria Sakkari in the first round. This was also the section where Coco Goff had a rematch against Jill Teichman from the week before, again beating her, playing Svitolina and losing in straight sets. I mentioned to you that it, it feels a little bit like Coco is coming back to earth and she's losing to the players she's supposed to be losing to and she's beating the players she's supposed to be beating. You know, it's we're going to see so many heroics and so many big wins from Coco Goff, but she's 16. Yeah. You know, like... And was 15 when she was doing a lot of this stuff. This giant, yeah. this, this way, giant slaying, giant killing. Giant killing, yeah. So maybe the, the it's sort of stabilizing a little bit and she's building a career rather than uh, kind of making these massive splashes and burning out early, mm. you know? The, the energy surrounding Coco Goff for much of her career so far has been very frenetic. Mm -hmm. It's been very hectic. And it can be difficult to develop your game as a youngster amidst those conditions. And right. this is where a lot of the burnout happens. Because you're treated as if you're already developed, right? You're already there. You're a star. You're supposed to be beating everybody. And so and you beat that woman last week, so you need to beat somebody bigger next time. Right. And th this hopefully will give her the opportunity to, to work on her game. Because there is stuff that needs to be worked on. Mm. Shout out to Sam Stozer, who won her first match at Melbourne Park since 2015. Seriously? Yeah. It's been a long time. <laughs> oh, wow. It did not go well for her in the second round against Jessica Pagulo, but not many people are beating Jessica Pagulo lately. Right, right. Uh, I mean, Pagula is a very, very tough, unseated opponent for Victoria Azarenka in the first round. So even if Vika was healthy, that's not really who you want to see across the net. Mm -hmm. 
Svitolina beat Boskova in the first round. A tough, tough, tough match that yeah. she got through yeah. very professionally, should I say. Svitolina is putting in a, a professional performance this week. Yeah, she's totally under the radar. She's way, way down the list on the odds makers' favorites, which is surprising being the five seed. She has got to pull through for Jem's life. Gala is going through it, okay? Mm-hmm. So she is going to shine for him. The other match that we pinpointed in this section in the first round, Yulia Putintseva against Sloane Stevens. I watched this match, and there was no drama. There was no dramaticing. Mm-hmm. It was just a lot of repetitive points and not so interesting tennis. <laughs> and that's not an indictment of either woman. It's just what it was. And it's probably just the way their games match up. Yes. Sloan wins the first set, and then, frankly, Putinseva just kind of runs away with it. Mm. And we absolutely should grant Sloan some grace. Seriously. You know, she has a track record of not necessarily performing up to her talent, but when you lose so many of your family members in such a short time, due to this pandemic, due to COVID-19, and you're still trying to go out there and put your best foot mm-hmm. forward, we need to just, like ignore that this happened frankly yeah because she also went straight into hard quarantine after suffering those losses those personal losses i've seen a few you know high profile people give her some grief for this and that's really misplaced like let it just leave it for now this touches on a theme of the first week where quite a few of the hard quarantine players had a tough go of it just were not able to compete to the level that they would expect of themselves Mm -hmm. Some of those players that were stuck in the super quarantine were Sakari, Kerber, Sloan, Alison Risk, Tennis Sandgren, all out in the first round. Elena Rybakina, who has really struggled after the break last year, who was on an absolute tear. She loses in round two to Fiona Farrow. As we mentioned, Bianca Andreescu loses in round two to Shea which I think we'll talk about in a bit. Petra Kvitova. Something I totally didn't expect. She lost. She wasn't a hard quarantiner, but she lost to Serana Kirstea, who was in quarantine and has been pissed for several weeks straight. Like, (laughs) she was pissed during the match, pissed during quarantine, and it clearly drove her. We've gotten through the top half of the woman's draw, and if you haven't heard the names of your faves... That's indicative of the lopsided nature of this Australian Open Women's Draw because it's about to get lit. Yeah. Okay, so before before the losses of Andreescu and Kvitova, the bottom half was even more lit. Imagine that. In that first match, we have Shea and Vondrosova. They were not the people who were technically supposed to get there, but... The first round of 16 match that we have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shea... Uh, I mean, she's had quite an experience already. She beat Pironkova, which was a tough first-rounder. She takes out Bianca Andreescu. Nobody really knew what Bianca was going to look like when she came back. and She came back against Buzarnescu, and I, like a lot of folks, had kind of forgotten what Bianca looks like on court. Mm-hmm. Like, you have a general feeling of what Bianca is like on court, but to see it again brought it all back. And yeah, her playing Buzarnescu's like, that is Bianca Andreescu. <laughs> there was no way to gauge what sort of condition she was in. 
to get match fit, it's going to take more than one first round win over three sets at the Australian Open. And Shea Sue is a, kind of a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> right? When Shea is playing well, you are going to have to rethink everything about your life oh my God. on court. Right. But you just watch her and she's hitting these crazy forehand drop shots with two hands, which somebody actually told me are technically backhands because she switches her grip like the wrong hand is forward. She's hitting drop shot smashes. <laughs> like what would normally right, be right. a smash for somebody by the service line. She's just doing a little plonk. It's a drop shot over her head. Yeah. Like the racket face is open. It's a little plonk that functions as a drop volley. It's, it's mm-hmm. wild scenes watching this incredible talent play tennis. And I think what is most jarring to watch is to watch her walk to a ball and completely stop moving and then hit it. Right? Because you're like, is wait, is the point over? Let's- <laughs> this is why she is the casual queen. Right. I mean, she, like you said, she's an incredible talent. It, it's just not delivered in the package that we expect. So Bianca tried her best against Shea. Yeah, she. She yeah. really did. And there's going to be no slagging of Bianca. There were here. times when she tried to hit through her. That was not going to happen. Like, she had her running for days upon days. <laughs> but that that's encouraging. Bianca is going to be now playing this this next event that's already started at Melbourne, Melbourne Park. Mm-hmm. Sloane Stephens has already lost in the first round. Bianca hasn't played yet. This I, I knew this event was happening, but it so caught me off guard. There's still so much tennis happening at the Australian Open, and then this little subset of a tournament is happening. Like, how do I pay right. attention to this? Obviously, in this little section, you want to talk about Venus, because there was so do much I? promise early on. Um, it's good that I've had a lot of distance. Yeah, yeah, it was like from this seven, happening. six days ago by now. <laughs> in the first round, she put in a very patient performance against... Kirsten Flipkins <laughs> and won that match in straight sets looked pretty good. Then she shows up against Sarah Irani and just all hell breaks loose. At that time, I was riding, I was flying high heading into that match mm-hmm. and I could feel like something was going to go wrong because oh. Francis had just won the second set against Djokovic <laughs> and screamed, I love this shit, I love it. <laughs> But, you know, weird things were starting to happen in the tennis. And then Venus takes the court against Irani, is down 5-1, and then is moving toward the net. Irani's ball hits the net court. And when that happens, your body just kind of reacts involuntarily, right? Like the the plane Mm -hmm. of the ball coming at you is differently. So you're taking all these split steps, getting toward the net, and then so you have to make these sudden movements to adjust to that. And Venus turns her ankle. She already had her knee wrapped, and she screams out and is just hopping around. Mm. At that point, to Irani's credit, she says to the chair empire, are you going to do something about this? Can you help her? Mm. And the chair empire has this like shit-eating grin on his face as he like plops his way out of the chair. <laughs> and eventually, it's a long, extended, almost 15-minute break for Venus to get two medical timeouts, one on the ankle, one on the knee, and when she comes back out, you're like, no, Venus, like, this is not worth it. Mm-hmm. I know that you pride yourself on always believing in yourself and always trying and and absolutely not retiring unless it's terminal. Like, you will die if you don't retire. Like, uh-huh. But you are 40 years old, and this this potentially could be 
a career ending kind of thing if it's not taken care of properly, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, and the thinking that went through my mind was matching what I was seeing on court. It was so shocking to see Venus Williams move like that on a tennis court. Mm-hmm. So she decided to play the match through. She didn't win another game. She ended up losing the match 6-1, 6-love. And, of course, everyone's going to have opinions on whether she should have continued the match. Mm-hmm. I would have liked not to see that scoreline, personally. That's that's just the thing, right? That scoreline will go into the history books as a 6-1, 6 loss to Sarah Arani. And, personally, it's not something I wanted to see. See, I don't really care about that. <laughs> it was all about not injuring yourself further. Yeah. I do have to take some responsibility here for what happened. I feel... That it's my fault Mm -hmm. because on the previous show, you had made some offhanded comment about Irani doing something. And I interrupted you and said, Sarah Irani will not be doing anything at this tournament. And look, look what (laughs) happened. And look what happened. It's what I deserve. Absolutely not what Venus Williams deserves, but it's what I deserve. She played a very tough match against Shea as well. Her serve is a complete disaster. It cannot be overstated. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing. Sarah is very defensive about the serve because she's obviously having serious problems with the toss and has been going on for years. I I understand that, according to the rules, a tennis player can catch their ball toss essentially unlimited number of times. When does that stop? I mean, can you catch it on every point? Because I imagine it is very distracting for a returner. Mm -hmm. You want to be, you want to give leeway, right? Venus catches her toss a lot too, but it's not like 40, 50 times in a match. We're talking How about many like times? three or sometimes it's three or four times in a row. Yeah. And for me, what, what I wonder about is how that disrupts the opponent's rhythm. Mm-hmm. And in that first set while Venus was playing, unsuper injured, I mean, how do you know what's coming across the net? You get the serve in, find a point started, and then Irani was having such trouble with her own rhythm from the ground. So some some full-out ground strokes were barely crossing the net. Mm. Some were hitting to the back of the court. and Right. And, I mean, that's just the game. That is just the, the game. The, the ball toss thing is not something, I guess, anyone ever thought of having a rule about because it's unusual. It, it doesn't help a server to catch their ball toss that many times. Well, either, my point right? in mentioning that is explaining the 5-1 mm. scoreline as well. Because in theory, those junk ball serves, Venus should be able to just destroy mm-hmm. and hit for winners. Which, if she's playing somebody who allows her to get into a rhythm, sure, that was nowhere near on display in this match. Right. It was just a bad scene all around, <laughs> and I would like to forget it. Luckily, uh, Venus was seen on Serena's social media the next day, or two days afterward, shopping up a storm, doing a little mm-hmm. waist wiggle dance thing. There was no strapping to be seen in public. Uh, nothing was, on the ankle, mm-hmm. nothing on the knee. So hopefully it wasn't too bad of an injury. That video was essentially a supermarket sweep in the Prada store before <laughs> Melbourne locked down again. <laughs> okay, so that's that's all the interesting stuff in that section for me. The good news is that Queen Suwei is in a round of 16. She'll face Fondrosova. Now, this... Second section of the bottom half, once this draw came out, all we could think about was Muguruza Osaka. Incredibly, this would be the first time they've ever played. Yeah, very surprising. But what the hell? 
Muguruza Osaka in the round of 16 and Serena Sabalenka on the same day. Which is happening very soon. <laughs> yes. So you you will probably know the results of those matches before you listen to this. We're, we're really scrambling to get this thing out. Both matchups are the first meeting. Both matchups feel like they could be a final. Muguruza is the defending runner-up. Osaka is the previous year's champion of this tournament. And they're both in very, very good form. These next three round of 16 matches, Muguruza Osaka, Sabalenka Serena, Sviantek Halep, all could be finals. Absolutely. Realistically. Mm-hmm. And but for Sabalenka, they're all slam champions. Mm-hmm. Oh god, I didn't even get there. Halep is the runner-up from the previous, previous year. <laughs> right? Osaka wins in 2019. Halep lost to Wozniacki in 2018. I mean, the pedigree here is incredible. In Muguruza and Osaka's section, Anjibur is really the the person of note. She played a three-set match against Andrea Petkovic in the first round. I was very heartened to see Petko play so well against a good opponent. And then in the second round, Jabor takes out Shmidlova before having to play Naomi Osaka. Naomi ended up getting through that match fairly routinely by the score, but that did not reflect the quality of the tennis specifically in the first few games of that mm-hmm. match. Yeah. Naomi was struggling to hold serve early in that match, and Ons was giving her everything she could handle. Let's get in the habit of referring to Jabor as a magician. Because, <laughs> I, you know, I know a lot of, especially male players, have that moniker. Jabor is, mm-hmm. is a magician on court. Spare thought for Angelique Kerber. Former champion of this event went out in the first round to Bernarda Pera. Like you said before, one of the hard quarantiners that just did not look anything like mm-hmm. herself in this tournament. And, you know, do we know that that's why? Of course not. But it certainly didn't help anyone, mm-hmm. right? In the Sabalenka Serena section, I'll let you take that away. <laughs> the the Serena outfit reveal is always one of the, the great spectacles of day one or day two of a slam. And this year, uh, wow. This year, I think, was one of the most shocking of all her reveals. Another bodysuit. This time, one full leg and one leg was cut off at the very top of the thigh. Yeah, one was a booty short length. Right. And one was fully covered. <laughs> uh, all these beautiful colors swirling around the bodysuit. And immediately, if you know track and field, you know this is a reference to Florence Griffith Joyner's kits she had it cut a little bit higher like female track stars often wear the bikini short serena decided to be a little bit more modest as she said but this was a clear nod to flojo and it is like nothing we've seen in tennis (laughs) this is the same woman who introduced the jean short to tennis kits (laughs) so can't really be surprised but i think it uh, it shows a lot about serena's confidence in her body, you know, when she came back from maternity leave, she made it a point to wear bodysuits soon after her return at Roland Garros at the Australian Open. And she knows that her body looks different now and she's embracing it. And it's it's just an incredible message to put out there. But also she looks incredible and the best she's looked yeah. physically yeah. at this tournament since she's come back. Mm-hmm. Like it is even more so of a statement, if you will. And her tennis has been talking 
clearly she's done a lot of work in the off season. Mm. You said on the last episode, this is the most fit you've seen her, the quickest on her feet. And of course, uh, players who are 39 years old will have these off days or off sets, days where their feet maybe are not moving as quickly as they are supposed to. But what was reassuring is that in her third round against Potapova, she played a terrible first set. Serena, I mean, she... They both played <laughs> horrible tennis. Right. It was just very, very ugly to watch. As Serena wasn't moving to balls. She was missing easy shots. And what did she do? She dug in. She saved a few set points. She got through it. She even laughed mid-rally, which is such a difference from her third round last year against Wang Chong, where she was visibly annoyed at the balls that were coming back. You know, it was like last year she did not have confidence in her fitness. She yeah. was like, why Why are my shots not penetrating? Mm-hmm. Why is this girl getting all these balls back? And so where last year we may have seen Crybaby Reno, mm-hmm. Reno started to get a little bit fussy in this match, <laughs> but eventually was able to soothe herself. And, you know, the funny thing is that we observed and a lot of fans observed Serena started slowly in her first round against Laura Ziegemund, a great player, and starting slowly turned out to be a 6-1, 6-1 victory. You know, it was smooth sailing in the in the first and second rounds. For all the concern about Serena in this third round match, she still won it 7-6-6-2. Mm. After she scraped through that first set, the second set went pretty smoothly, and Potapova I mean, she has a lot of trouble with the serve toss, clearly. She hit a lot of wild serves, and that was very frustrating to her. But, I mean, if you're Serena, you cannot lose to somebody who's serving at 40%. You just cannot. And throwing in, like, five double faults in one game? Yeah, yeah. Like that, that, that's crazy. I, I really felt bad for her, because that's ugly. But Serena was in a great mood after. It was awesome to see Yelena Dokic as the on-court interviewer. She did a great job and had such rapport with Serena. Serena paused at one point to be like, you know, I just have to say, I'm I'm loving your questions. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and she said much more than Renee. Poor Renee. Like, Serena (laughs) drags Renee's tub so badly. I assume because she likes her. Well, I don't. She didn't say much more than Renee. She says essentially like coming for Renee's wig. <laughs> That's the gist of it. Matches of note in that section: Potapova was the one who took out Allison Risk. Your pick for breakout player, Anne Lee. She beats Zhang Shui in the first round, takes out Alize Cornet in the second, before losing to Sabalenka in the third. Mm-hmm. I would say, like, this was my expected result for Lee. I'm really happy that she got to the third round. Sabalenka is just too fit and too powerful right now. Yeah, so Sabalenka has made the fourth round of a slam now twice in her career, never the quarterfinals. And this has been the knock on her, somebody with immense talent, winning a bunch of titles, but unable to really Mm. make a breakthrough at a slam. I mean, this is a massive opportunity You know, in a lot of ways, the pressure is off because you're playing Serena Williams. Like, if you lose to Serena Williams, it's clearly not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. In that final section on the bottom half, again, another fourth-round matchup between Iga Sviantek and Simona Halep. The previous two times that they've played, 2019 French Open, 2020 French Open, in the fourth round, each player winning a blow, essentially. Mm -hmm. 
the most the one that's freshest in our minds, of course, is Shviontek's just demolition of Simona last year in the fall. The two matches in this section that I want to talk about, Simona Halep got yet another scare from Ayla Tomlanovic. Yes. We saw her push her super hard in Cincinnati a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And all but one of their matches have gone three sets. Yeah. And this time, Tomlanovic came the closest she's ever been, being up 5-2 in that third set and having multiple chances... And with the home crowd behind her, it was tough to watch that slip away from her. But to Simona's credit, she she owned that, she's earned that reputation of being fighter girl. You know, like, <laughs> she's not going to just give up because she's down. I mean, she has won some incredibly tough matches in Australia, especially against Kerber. My immediate thought watching this unfold was, is this going to be her Yana Fett moment? where Caroline Wojniacki came mm-hmm. back against Fett in 2018 in the second round and then went on to win the tournament. Ironically, beating Simona in that final. Yeah. The other match here, Iga Sviantek against Camila Georgi. You kind of expected Sviantek to win this match, but watching it was an absolute treat. Like, when Camila Georgi is on fire, when she's on song... It is incredible power tennis. It might be the most powerful tennis on the women's tour. And Sviantek was able to absorb, redirect, come back at her with her own big babe tennis. At certain points, it was just outrageous hitting to see. And, and Sviantek really showed a different side of her game, I think, in that match, being able to go toe-to-toe with a power hitter at the peak of their powers. That's the women's draw. In the round of 16, we've got Barty versus Rogers, Mertens Mukhova, Vekic Brady, Pagula Svitolina, She Vondrosova, Muguruza Osaka, Sabalenka Serena, and Shriantek Halep. There will be no predictions from us. Nope. We'll just be sliding on over to the men's draw. <laughs> In the men's draw, so much of the discourse currently surrounds the health status of the top two seeds, Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal. Let's start with Novak, because he's at the top of the draw. He has given us a lot of drama for just three rounds. The third round match against Taylor Fritz. He was up two sets against Fritz, and then early in that third set, he took a spill and appeared to injure his side oblique somewhere in the midsection. Novak seemed to be okay on serve, but was having trouble with his normal ground strokes, right? Especially the forehand, it looked like. Well, the power on the serve was reduced. Mm-hmm. But The he... movement was reduced, and then it gradually ramped up after he was able to take some pills, got some treatment, what have you. Mm-hmm. Now, this is all happening under the shadow of the five-day lockdown that was just instituted in the state of Victoria because of a spate of cases at a quarantine hotel near the airport. I read a few hours ago that there are now 13 cases tied to this outbreak. It could be more by now. On Saturday at 12 a.m., Victoria was going to close. And so in the middle of the match, it was paused to usher out every fan from the stadium, and the players had to stand in the tunnel. It took 10 minutes. It really wasn't that big of a deal, I thought. It's just... Like, we knew it was happening. so weird. In the middle of the match? Yeah, we knew it was happening. We know that this is a pandemic. We know that the Australian government is taking, the Victorian government especially, is taking as many steps as possible 
to keep this virus contained. Professional athletes have been deemed essential workers, which has allowed the Australian Open to continue, but they will be without fans for at least those five days for this lockdown. They're trying to prevent this third wave that is anticipated everywhere, basically. In Canada, we, we heard about it today. The worst case scenarios are not good, but in Victoria, they're trying to lock it down immediately. Initially, Taylor Fritz comes out in the fourth set. He's able to break. He wins that fourth set in the fifth. Novak breaks him, and it is done. I mean, that fifth set went by so quickly. And when, when I watched Novak on return, he was rubbish in the fourth set. And then he was protecting his serve really, really well, right? So the people who don't like Novak are going to be invited to say, this is his usual rope-a-dope, he's exaggerating, this is his theatrics. His fans are going to say, listen, this is a real injury, stop picking on my guy. This stuff has happened a lot with Novak. Okay, so what is the, what is the plan here? The plan here is to cough up a two-set lead intentionally to create <laughs> some drama to then curry favor from folks who then praise him as a comeback king. It just doesn't seem like no, I'm a not, plausible... I'm not saying there's any sort of conspiracy. I think there are skeptics who are just like, we're tired of seeing it. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's it's true, like he is injured, I believe that. I don't think he's making that up. But because of the player he is and the way he plays and competes you often don't believe he's injured because like how can he how can he do all that you know from our layperson's perspective and from Taylor Fritz's perspective he's like how is he doing this especially on his own serve the medical explanation is that the pills kicked in <laughs> right. he tested himself a little bit specifically one point where he went for a ball out wide on the forehand and maybe felt well the recovery from that wasn't that bad i can do a little bit more on court mm-hmm that's <laughs> that's the medical explanation. Right. Now, all of the context surrounding Novak about, you know, propping up pseudoscience, being anti-vaccine, the way he discovered his supposed gluten intolerance, all that, that invites people to be skeptical about how he talks about his body, right? It's kind of silly because the man is close to the Grand Slam record. He's one of the goats. He clearly knows his body better than everyone. But So much so that he self-diagnosed the injury as a tear. Right. See, this is where it gets silly. He's like, I'm sure it's a tear. And I don't know if I'm going to play against Milos. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, first of all, how do you know it's a tear? Second of all, of course you're going to play against Milos. And you'll probably beat him in straight sets. Well, he did not practice yesterday. And we will know for sure if he takes the court tonight. Right. And how he looks against Milos. I'm just, I'm going to use this this logic later in the episode. And you'll know when. But judge Novak based on previous performance. Even though he was injured in this match, at no point did I think he was going to lose. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that to be snarky or whatever, or to be skeptical of his injury. We have seen him power through these injuries many, many times. And against a player like Taylor Fritz, who's never made a round of 16, that was not going to happen. See, I disagree. I watched that match. Taylor Fritz was playing exceptional ball. Taylor Fritz was not awed by the situation. It, it wasn't the case where your opponent is kind of dizzied and you yourself become dizzy because you don't know how to handle the situation. Taylor Fritz was all about carrying on with it. Novak was just able to raise his level to a Novak level or something Mm -hmm. in the vicinity of it to get it done. Taylor Fritz did not lose that match. Oh, I don't know about that. I think there's some debate about that in the fifth set. 
So that round of 16 matchup, Novak against Raonic. Novak is 11-0 career versus Milos Raonic. So uh, that is not a good track record. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if these two are coming into this match no. on even health footing. No, and Raonic played Novak last year at the Australian Open in the quarterfinals and to me was in much better form at that time. He's not unimpeachable here. He lost a set to Mute, he lost a set to Fucevic, and we shall see. I mean, we don't know if Novak will take the court against him. I was being a little bit dismissive earlier. We we you really were. we don't know if Novak will play, and we don't know what sort of form he will be in if he does play. Mm. The interesting matches from this section, Novak against Tiafo in the second round was a lot of fun to watch for mm-hmm. most of the match. Francis has his reputation as somebody who has a lot of talent, but makes too many mistakes in big moments. And I don't think a lot of folks gave him much of a chance at all in this match. He showed out for those people. He's like, this is what I can do. But at the end of the day, those mistakes still cost him. Stan against Marton Fucevic. Wow, Stan, that was unfortunate. <laughs> Being up, what, 8-5 in the super tiebreak? And then ended mm-hmm. up losing it? That must have been a heartbreaker. In this next, next section, I think we can go through pretty quickly. Lajevic versus that guy, that, that string bean in the sleeveless shirt. Yeah. Yeah, I have nothing to say about that. Outside of that just abhorrent comment that Zverev made on court after he won his match. What? Like... You really have to wonder about someone now. When, first of all, the interviewer asked him about his height. The man is a grown man. What are you talking about? Oh, you're so much bigger than I last saw you. Like, he's nine years old. Some of these on-court interviews have been absolute trash. (laughs) And they've been from the men. So he pivots to, oh, I hope I'm not getting taller because it'll be hard to find a wife. Dude, do you know that you have just been credibly accused of domestic violence there's another story coming out your other former girlfriend is having your baby soon and you're joking about finding a wife i really have to wonder about this guy you wonder even further about his character it is deranged to to make a comment like that i don't know i just don't understand the thought process spare thought for gal monfils after he lost his first round match to emil rusevori he gets into press and breaks down in tears because he's so frustrated about the direction of his career, the fact that he's putting in all this work and he's not able to see any results. And on top of that, people are kicking him when he's down. Because mm-hmm. he was doing great before the lockdown last year. Mm-hmm. He won two tournaments in a row. He'd gone and... through his February peak. <laughs> yes. It's it's Mofi's time. And we just don't know. We don't know what it's like to put in that practice time and feel like you're playing really well and then just see nothing from it. Yeah, that's it from that section, really. I have nothing else to say other than maybe that Maxime Cressy, an American player who made his name on the college scene, I enjoyed watching him play. You don't have too many servant volley players in the game anymore, and he stuck to his guns against Verve in that match. Okay, I feel like this is where it gets really good. The Dominic team, Nick Kyrgios third round, is a classic. It's what you come to the Australian Open for. It was right before the fans had to leave, and I can't imagine seeing that match without fans. 
it just adds to the character so much and you know who knows how the match would have gone without that sort of energy mm-hmm. nick kyrgios entered that match off of a five set win against ugo umber nick hadn't played tennis in 13 months i wondered how on earth is he going to physically hold up against team mm. to be able to beat him presumably over five sets it went five sets but not a very long five-set match. A lot of those sets were going very quickly, so the stress level combined with the complete support from the Aussie crowd on his favored court, now John Kane Arena, it created this perfect storm for Nick Kyrgios to push Dominic Team Up two sets to love, Nick Kyrgios, and at that point, Dominic Team is being pressured in his first service game of the third set. And you wonder... Dominic, you've got to find some way to change your energy level here. Because I get that perhaps you're trying to absorb what the crowd is throwing at you, what Nick is throwing at you, and maintain an even keel demeanor, but it's not working at this point. So what are you going to do to change the narrative in this match, to turn things around? And, you know, he knows better than us at this point because he maintained, stayed the course, and just with withstood everything that came at him that that night to win in five sets so much of the the reporting and the attention is going to be on nick every time he plays but i do want to just mention that this is an incredible comeback right like this is the type of comeback that people remember when you've retired down two sets to love against nick Kyrgios in australia dominic is just one of these players now who can do that who can he's done that four times in his career. He came back from two sets to love in the US Open final when he was playing very badly in those first two sets. He has just to me really reached another level of competitiveness. Of course when Nick Kyrgios plays tennis, when he gets this much of a spotlight on him, you're going to get the full gamut of reactions to to Nick Kyrgios, who he is mm-hmm. as a person, his character, his game, and it's often framed within this this question of, is he good for tennis? Nick Kyrgios can be good for tennis in some ways and bad for tennis in other ways and not have it be a yes or no answer. What I really want to push back against here, this idea that in totality, Nick Kyrgios is bad for tennis because it's just patently false. The majority of tennis fans cannot buy a week's pass to a tennis tournament. The majority of them have to pick their spots buy one or two sessions, go to the resale market, wait till the last minute to maybe switch their ticket around because that's the only chance they're going to get to see their fave. Mm -hmm. And the proof is in the pudding, not just in Australia, but we've seen it in Cincinnati and other places. We've seen it in Rome that when Nick Kyrgios plays, people turn up. Exactly. And so, so what is, what does good for tennis mean? Exactly. Do you want, do you want eyeballs on the sport? Because he delivers that. Every time. They want Nick Kyrgios to become a multiple slam champion and go deep in every tournament and carry tennis in a way that's palatable. This is where, you know, this idea of the black man, the brown man performing for the white man to his desired specifications. But I I, I say to you all that Nick Kyrgios can show up to a tournament and entertain for the first three days of an event and give those tennis pours the time of their life and that 
too is good for tennis. He does not have to be a Grand Slam champion to be good for tennis. Right, but he may yet be a Grand Slam champion at some point. And if he's not able to become one, that doesn't make him a bad person. (laughs) Because there's this weird slippery slope dynamic between being good for the game and then that making you a good person and being bad for the game and then you're a bad person. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, well, be, tied up in that is is criticizing his behavior toward officials, toward fans, whatever, toward his opponent, throwing chairs, that sort of thing. You know, we've talked a, a bit about how Nick Kyrgios is this mirror. <laughs> what you what you say about Nick Kyrgios reveals a lot about yourself. His charisma touches nerves in a, in a good way and a bad way when he is yelling and cursing at an umpire. You don't have to defend that. I certainly don't. But you also don't have to say that this guy should be run out of the sport permanently because of some of these behaviors, right? Like, when it, he's called, it's a lot. When he's called for a hindrance because he audibly says something in the middle of a point and then goes to the chair and tries to make the case, well, you don't call an audible on Azarenko when she's out here wailing all <laughs> over the place. I despise that. Mm. The whole bro culture thing that he does i despise that that is not for me Mm. but i can also find other things that i can objectively say well you know you know good on you nick he does a lot of good outside the court you know yeah yeah definitely there is no tennis player that brings so many different facets to the table almost for you to be able to pick apart and so for you to, to paint him with one broad brush, I, I, I can't accept that. Mm-hmm. I mean, can, except, are, except for Serena and Djokovic, maybe. Yeah. Right? Those are the players who are complicated and yeah. who demand that we all have reactions in some mm-hmm. way. But that does not mean that you can't still dislike him. You can dislike him. Mm-hmm. But there's this tendency to take your gut feeling and your gut reaction to somebody and then look for all the evidence in every single way to then make your case publicly, like you were saying. Right. Like, that's not needed. It doesn't do anything. All it does is to to make more of what this monster that you think he is, make more of what that abstract entity actually is. So what I'd like to happen is for commentators to stop either moralizing or predicting what comes next because you heard a lot of like oh wow this is the curios that we've wanted for so many years he's so engaged that's on you right he's so committed and i would kind of hold your horses a bit with predictions because like i said a few minutes ago take past performance as an indicator oh is this what you said i should be looking out for take past performance to predict future performance that's all we have right that is all we have to go on it's the best indicator, so we need to kind of wait and see what happens. Do commentators expect this Nick Kyrgios to be fit and engaged and dedicated at every Grand Slam tournament he goes to? Because I don't feel that's realis- realistic based on what we've seen in the past. If that happens, that's awesome. But I think we just kind of need to wait and see what happens. And also, right? if that's not what Nick wants, that's not what Nick wants. Right, but just tuck in and enjoy in this match in particular you know there were a lot of the usual curios isms there were the tweeners there were some casual you know standing flat-footed and hitting these incredible shots that shouldn't work 
questionable decisions on important points mm -hmm. that probably cost him the match. You got the full Nick Kyrgios yeah. experience. He was very effusive, praising his opponent, sometimes midpoint about great shots. But he was he was engaged, and he was really tough throughout this match. He approached the net 52 times, which is something I, I really liked seeing. 25 aces. He hit 52 winners across the five sets, and Dominic hit only five more. So, Dominic team gets through that match. He'll play Grigor Dimitrov, who, through three matches, has made it through with nearly a problem in sight. <laughs> this is like the easiest three rounds that Grigor has had in a slam in a long time. Not a ton of attention. He he got a retirement against Pablo Carreño Busta in the third round. He's just kind of floating on through here. But Dominic team, I mean, he's going to be so, so tough, no matter who you are. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, I mean, this probably doesn't mean much because the trajectory of their careers are so different right now, but Grigor has a 3-2 head-to-head lead over Dominic. Mm. Can we talk about Felix Auger-Aliassime? Yes. Because Felix had, a, had a, a little bit of a rough time last Sunday, Saturday or Sunday, when he was in the Murray River Final, lost to Dan Evans. It was his seventh straight loss in an ATP final. He hasn't won one yet. Hasn't won a set but, in a final. Oh, man. I mean, people like to uh, roast him about this. And I feel bad because clearly it is painful for him. I mean, I would be upset. I'd be crying during the match if that were me. But he he's just... still He's still 20 years old. Right, right. The thing about it, though, is that in those finals, he looks completely listless. He looks a shadow of the talent that we know him to possess. Right. Look at the Felix we saw versus Dennis compared to the one who played that final last week. And it feels like a different player. But I I admire the way he's just kind of gotten back onto the horse. And he's playing exceptional tennis here. It was depressing to see these two Canadians, these two friends, play in the third round in the middle of the night. So most Canadians could not watch it at 3 a.m. This was such a great performance from Felix. He very clearly came in with a plan. And I've I got to say, this result surprised me a lot. It did. It surprised me a lot as well. I mean, not necessarily that Felix won, but just that it didn't go the distance. That I, I figured Dennis could conjure something. That Dennis was such a complete mess emotionally in this match. Mm. He seemed to have something physically going on with him. He took a couple breaks, had pills... <laughs> right. Like so Tab many people have had this tablets. week. He had know? some tablets on TV. I gotta say, like, I love Dennis's impulse to try to move forward a lot, to play some serve and volley, to go for ridiculous winners. But Felix's plan was clearly to exploit some of that. Dennis is such an explosive player. He's theatrical. He likes to make shots that shouldn't be made. And Felix was able to to take advantage of it, mm. right? He was steady. He pushed Dennis back very consistently. And the highlight for me was watching Felix's feet. His footwork and his movement were incredible. For me, the disappointing the disappointing part of this match was Dennis's petulance. Mm. You would never know from watching these two players that Felix is a younger one, <laughs> that Felix is a less accomplished one, in terms of big wins. Right. I mean... Felix has made seven finals for, for 
F's sake. <laughs> you but, know, at this point, that's right. it's a lot of finals for a 20-year-old. But Dennis has the high profile. You know, he's got some big wins in majors. And Dennis just could not contain his emotions in this match. Mm. The screaming, the telling the fans to shut up, Oof. like screaming at the fans, like... It was not a good look for Denis Shapovalov in uh-huh. this match. I'm starting to think this matchup kind of works for Felix. Uh, like, I didn't think it would, but he was steady enough where he could either wait for a chance to smack a winner. That, I mean, some of these backhands down the line were wild. Or he could wait for Dennis to make an error. Mm-hmm. Dennis came off a, uh, probably the toughest first-round match across both draws, mm-hmm. beating Yannick Sinner in five sets. And let me tell you, you could not watch that first-round match, watch Yannick Sinner play tennis, and come away with anything other than, wow. Like, this dude is going to be really good. Yeah. The effortless power, especially on the cross-court forehand, from some of those positions, it's, it's crazy. I don't think I've seen a first-round match with that much electricity. Off the ground. And especially impressive because this is from two super young players. The other person oh, that's made big waves in this section, Aslan Karatsev. Right. Felix's fourth round opponent. And uh, I asked, who is this guy? So, he's number 114 currently. He will be much higher. He qualified for the first time after trying to qualify for nine previous slams. He's had a... You know, his fall was great. He won two challenger titles. He beat Golbis three times in that stretch. I don't know why they met up so many times, but kept beating Golbis, uh, play, beat Herbert, Tennis Sangren, Popirin. And in this tournament, he has only dropped 20 games so far. And this little run has been capped off by just a, a shocking performance against Diego Schwartzman, in which he hit 50 winners. This guy hits so hard and so flat. It was just a like a dominating performance over Diego. It felt like it came out of nowhere. But these wins are not an accident. The no. guy can play. He's just been troubled with injuries for a long, long time. So team versus Dimitrov, and then Felix versus Karatsev. Onto the bottom half of the men's draw, that top section with Andrei Rublev, there's nothing much to say here. No. Truly. He he beat Feliciano Lopez in the third round, one of the few players who was older than me. And now, Rafa Nadal is the oldest man left in the draw. Still younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> Rublev will play Kaspar Ruud in the fourth round. Below there, we have Mackie McDonald against Daniil Medvedev. This is the second time that McDonald has made the fourth round of a slam. The other time coming at the 2018 Wimbledon. And this is a nice comeback for Mackie because he'd been off for a while due to injury that he sustained in 2019. Mm-hmm. Per Brad Gilbert, he is here on a protected ranking. And look at that. Beats Borna Choric, the number 22 seed in the second round. This is where David Goffin went out in the first round to Alexei Popperin. Lloyd Harris had a cute moment making the third round. He beat Popperin in the second round. A cute and, moment. A cute moment. <laughs> and then Mackie McDonald, he took out Borna George. I think this surprised a lot of people. Yes. I'm finding more and more, as I watch men's tennis, Tsitsipas matches are where my eyes go. 
all the time. When I see him on the schedule, that's the match that I want to watch. And he, you know, he gets Joe Simone in the first round, easy. The second round against... It wasn't just easy, it was a bloodbath. <laughs> it was a complete okay, I decapitation. Mean, I, I didn't want to be mean. But he plays Thanasi Kokonakis, the wild card, in the second round. And wow, this was not easy. Thanasi has been away for a long time, but he is back and he's not going away. Easily one of the matches of the first week. Five set loss for Kokonakis. He's been a name in tennis for a long time, but we actually haven't seen him play a lot of matches. He first became kind of a a name when he reached the Australian Open final in juniors. He rose to number 69 in the world. You know, he had a win over Roger Federer, who was number one player at that time in 2018 in Miami. But throughout these seven-ish years, he's been beset by like any injury you can think of. Back problems, Like pectoral. when people want to talk about extremely injured, Thanasi Kokonakis has been extremely injured right. in his career. Uh, glandular fever, even. So over the course of his career, he's played less than 80 ATP-level matches, which is crazy because of how long we have been familiar with this guy. In that fourth round, Tsitsipas will play Matteo Bertini. Berrettini looked really good the entire first week until the end of that third set against Karen Hachanov, where he sustained some kind of side injury, had to get treatment on court, was able to still pull out that third set in a tie break. It might have gotten very dicey for him had that not happened. Mm. So hopefully he's able to get some treatment and it's not that serious to play Stefanos. The final section of the men's draw, right at the bottom of the bottom half, we have Fabio Fanini against Rafael Nadal. <laughs> Where have I seen this before? I believe Rafa's head-to-head is 12-4 and four against Fabio. They, yeah, they've played a lot. There was that famous, of course, Fabio uh, victory over Rafa at the, Aust- the U.S. Open, I think, in 2015, where Rafa was up two sets to love. You know, there are sort of these rumors about a feud between them, or or an enmity between the two. And Rafa put that to bed. He said, listen, we've had a few moments on court where we didn't get along, but off court, I really like to get along with everybody, and there's no problem. So stop that. So we're going to stop that. We mentioned that both Djokovic and Nadal have had a lot of injury talk this first week. Novak sustained during his third-round match, and then Rafa brought this back injury into the tournament. Remember on the last episode where I said there's two ways to look at Nadal not playing ATP Cup? One, that it's 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 great and it's smart to be able to pick your spots in a tournament like that. It's helpful to him and that gives you hope as a fan. And then the other way to look at it is if Nadal isn't playing a team event for Spain, <laughs> you should be worried. Right. Or he's just plain injured. Yeah. And it, it turns out that he was feeling a lot of stiffness in his back. It was hampering his service motion most of all. And you could see that uh, in the first and second rounds where he wasn't serving confidently. He said he was having trouble being explosive after the serve, you know, recovering and reacting to his opponent's first ball. That's going to be a problem on a fast court, yeah. a pretty big problem. After his third round win against Cam Nori last night, he said that it was the first time that he's actually seen some improvement and he was actually u- able to use his normal service motion. And that was reflected in his serve speed because he definitely hit 195 and above kilometers per hour a couple of times, mm. which he hadn't in his first couple matches. 
Should we talk about um, the bird? The flipping of the bird? <laughs> well, that was something else, wasn't it? This was one of my favorite moments of the first week. Mm. This was during his match against Michael Moe. Uh, Michael, by the way, who was looking phenomenal in his sleeveless Adidas kit, and really happy to see Mike back at this level, there was some commotion in the stands. And a, a, a lovely woman called out, hurry up, you OCD fuck. <laughs> and then gave Rafa the middle finger. <laughs> and then Rafa is looking at her and he's like, who, me? Who, me? And then he starts me? laughing. Me? So he's laughing. He's smiling. It was like, me or her? Me or her? He didn't know if she was flipping off the umpire, or but it was definitely Rafa. She made that extremely clear. And it turns out she gave an interview to some morning show the next day that she's a Svidalina fan and that she was there because... No, she was there to watch Svidalina and then Rafa came on afterward and she's like, well, I paid this money, I might as well stay. And she claimed that she was not drunk, she just had one bubbly. You know, I'm not surprised she wasn't drunk because that type of behavior, you cannot blame strictly on alcohol. (laughs) There was something else going on there. The host, it was... The host did a good job because the host was like, so you're sure that's all you drank? <laughs> and when, when did you call out to, to Rafa? Was it while he was serving? Because that, you know, typically you wouldn't do that kind of thing because it's very rude and disrespectful. Mm. And she was like, no, I, did, I, I, don't, I didn't do that. And he's like, are you sure? <laughs> and then eventually she's like, well, you know, I wasn't really paying attention. I was just, you know. <laughs> it was uh, strange. And Fergus Murphy in the chair says, Madam, you are delaying everyone. <laughs> I mean, the people around her, there was a woman with this huge Spanish flag. And when the middle finger went up, She's she like, oh my <gasps> God, her face. Absolute shock. Um, if those security guards hadn't gotten to her to kick her out, Miss Spain Ooh, might have done the maybe. job. Shout out to Alex Diminar. He got blasted by Fabio Funini in the third round. Yeah. But that's not why we're shouting him out. We're shouting him out for taking out the trash in the first round. <laughs> Tennis Sandgren, bewitched, bothered, and... Very bewildered against Diminar. He said that he was very restricted in his play because of being in hard quarantine. And that is probably absolutely true. He looked completely out of sorts on court. And I don't have the bandwidth to be mad about it. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Alex did whack him with a ball uh, Ooh, yes. on match point. That was the favorite point <laughs> of the favorite part and point of week one. Apparently, Tennis had hit Alex earlier in the match. Mm. And so on match point, Tennis hits a short ball, like a drop volley or something. And he's at the net, and Alex runs to the net, gets to it, and just whacks the bejesus out of that ball and whacks him with it. Oh, well. As I always say, it is often the correct play. It is. Even, it you know, always is. Don't go for their head, but... So the men's round of 16 matchups, Novak Djokovic against Milos Raonic, Dusan Lajovic against Alex Zverev, Dominic Thiem against Grigor Dimitrov, Felix Ojeale-Sim against Karatsev, Andrei Rublev, Kasper Rud, Mackie McDonald takes on Medvedev, Tsitsipas against Berrettini, and Fonini against Nadal. We had a few other things, you know, odds and ends that we wanted to talk about, but I think we're going to save them to the wrap episode. Yes. We're definitely going to be talking about the fashion ones. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about Hawkeye Live, 
and how it's taken a bruising this tournament. Mm -hmm. And then also talk about some of the messed up stuff we've heard from the commentators. Shockingly, (laughs) the McEnroe's feature. Thank you for listening to this episode in between tennis watching. I'm just, I'm amazed that you're able to find time if you've made it this far. Enjoy the tennis tonight. We've had a lot of good matches in this first week, but tonight is the marquee night. Yeah. It is crazy that you will get this on the first Saturday, on the first Sunday of a Grand Slam. Like, this is... Mm -hmm. As Cardi B says, shit is real. (laughs) It's getting real. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. The body serve is at the body serve on Twitter and Instagram, and we're on you know all the usual places: Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Apparently, as I like to say, Google us on the internet. Yep. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much.